0: Good morning, River Tree. Uh, it is a joy to be with you again here downtown. If you're watching at Cove or watching online, hello. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 19, and in a moment we'll start in verse 16. But as I was walking into the day, and I was reading the Psalms this morning, and I was praying for every single one of you that would come here, I just was encouraged deeply by what Psalms 34:8 says, and it says this: "Taste and see the Lord is good." Taste and see the Lord is good. And then a few verses later, the psalmist says this, I lack no good thing. And I wonder what that would be like for us. I wonder what it'd be like for us to be able to say those same words, right? To say, hey, like, as I look at my life and I look at all that has come my way and I look at all the many things that are in my life, like really, I lack nothing. Because as we explore scripture together today, we're gonna see a guy who's rich, who's young, who's a ruler, who seems to have everything together, but there's something inside of him that says I'm lacking something. And I know that no matter where you come in this morning, maybe you are aware of that also. Maybe you think, hey, on the outside, things seem good, but there's something deep within me, deep within my heart and within my soul. And I feel like I'm missing something and I don't know what that is. Taste and see the Lord. good. Let's read Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture will be on the screen this morning. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, why do you ask about what is good? There's only one good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to them, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all of these have I kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So this rich young man comes up to Jesus and he asked a great question. It's a question in Jesus's day, people wanted to know, and maybe even the question that you wanna know. What do I have to do to make sure I have eternal life? In one sense, he is talking about, what do I have to do to know that I will live forever? That when I die and I breathe my last breath, like there will be a life beyond this. But in another sense, he's asking this question. What do I have to do to have the best life now? What do I have to do to experience abundant life right now? See, Jesus says in John's gospel, the 10th chapter, the 10th verse, I've come to give you life and life that you would have it to the fullest. And I hear those words and I think that's the kind of life I want. And this man knows this, to have a full life, to have a great life, to have a life that where you lack nothing is to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. So he comes to Jesus with a great question. He says, what do I have to do to make sure I'm in? And I love Jesus's response. He answers with a question and then he gives him a statement. And the question is this, why do you call me good? And the statement is this, because no one is good except God alone. Jesus is saying, what is it about my life? What is it about my presence? What is it about the way I teach that causes you to look at me and say, good teacher? And what's happening here is Jesus is exposing something within the man. He's saying the way you think about good and bad, it's wrong, like it's flawed. And maybe you've been there before, maybe you're just like this man, right? Maybe there's been a time in your life and you look at someone and someone's like, hey, tell me about that person. And your response is, oh, they're a really good guy. Or hey, that's a good girl over there. Or hey, they're a good person. And the reason you say that is because they act a certain way, they look a certain way, they try to maybe vote a certain way. Who knows why you say someone is good. And then you look at another person and you say, they're bad. And, and maybe we have more in common with this man than we'd like to realize, that our own perspective of good and bad is flawed. But Jesus comes to expose more. He comes to expose more in this guy's heart and in our own hearts. Now what he's doing is he's saying, hey, I've got good news for you. No one is good except God alone, but I'm God. Jesus, as Hebrew says, is the image of the invisible God. We sing a song about Emmanuel at Christmas time, but that means these words, God, with us. First John chapter one, verse 14 says that Jesus came and he dwelt among us, that he took on flesh, that he made our home, his home, that he moved into the neighborhood. And Jesus knows this man. He knows his type, his vocabulary. He's had people question him like this before. If you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know the verse even if you're not, you might know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's John three sixteen. That's a response to Nicodemus, another man who's well off, another man with a similar question, but a man who comes under the darkness of night. This guy, this rich young ruler, he comes in the broad daylight. Everyone sees him, but Jesus is gonna do something more here. Jesus is gonna expose what's going inside of this man's heart. So he says, hey, you wanna be good? You wanna be perfect? You wanna inherit eternal life? How about the 10 commandments? Seems like a great place to start, right? He says, don't murder, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't defraud, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we would agree, right? If you wanna be right with God, that sounds like a great place to start. You shouldn't kill people, right? Like, okay, like, no, like people kind of smiled there, but yeah, you should not kill people. Like you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you should obey his commandments. And the man looks back at Jesus and says, since I was a kid, I've done all that. But we learned something more here. Not only is he financially rich, he's morally rich. And I really think it's okay to believe this guy. Like the chances are maybe he didn't, but maybe he did there's a chance that the people in the crowd believe him. They know him. He's a great citizen. He has integrity. He's honest. And in some ways, I think we wanna believe that goes together. We wanna believe that you know what? If I live a good life, if I obey the commandments, if I go to church, if I give a little money, if I look good on the outside, it's only because I have great wealth, I have great status, I have great character. And then we flip it and say, and if I have great character, if I have great status, if I have great wealth, if I have good health, then it must be because why? Because I'm doing good. But friends, that is, is anti-gospel, okay? That's anti-Christ. Like if you go all the way back to the book of Job, you see this guy who is blameless before God and he loses it all. I mean, you don't have to read far in scripture to see person after person after person who follows the Lord and they lose their life for it. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 says, the world's not worthy of people like that. We know Jesus, he's good. He's kept the commandments. He's never sinned. He's perfect in every way. And yet, where does that lead him? It leads him to the cross itself. I think it's safe to say this, that the man knew something he knew as much as he's kept the commandments, as much as he had money, as much as he had security, there was something still missing inside. And I think this becomes only more more like real to him, the closer he gets to Jesus. And probably the same is true in our own life, right? The closer we get to Jesus, the more we pursue him, the more we realize the systems and the constructs that we could build the very foundation of our life are but shifting sand if they are outside of him. I mean, the guy's like, Jesus, I've done it all, but I lack, my life is good. I am rich, I am young, I am a ruler. And there's something missing, there's something lacking. There is an emptiness inside of me that I cannot explain. And maybe you come to church this morning and you would say the same thing. Maybe you say, hey, life is good. Like my social media that I post, like that's real. Like it's not fake, it's that good. I have money, I'm advancing in my career. I have great friends. My family is doing good, but deep down inside, and maybe nobody else knows this, I feel like there's a void. I feel like there is something missing. I am lacking. God's thinking I've accomplished a lot of life, but there's more. And he, he comes to Jesus and he says, just tell me. Just tell me, have you ever been to that place with God? Where there's a desperation. Like, I just gotta know. Like, I'm so messed up inside. Like, just tell me, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say. And from our perspective, that can seem pretty awesome. Here's a guy who's rich, who comes to Jesus. I mean, great, right? And ask a really sincere question. But before Jesus asked him, Mark is informative here. Mark's gospel has the same story, but it gives us one sentence that's really helpful. And it's found in Mark 10, 21, when it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. incredible. He looked at him and loved him. This is helpful. Before Jesus evangelizes him, before he answers the question, before he exposes him, before he shows him how far off he is, he loves him. He looks through all the stuff on the outside and all the stuff that this guy has done to be morally right. And he looks to the inside and he loves him, not because he had done a lot, not because he had great wealth, no. Not even because this man had lived a morally good life and obeyed the commandments, no. He loves him because he is fearfully and wonderfully made. He loves him because he is created in the image of God. He loves him because he is one of those sheep who has left the stray and Jesus came for people just like this. He loves him because he knows this man, knows, he knows something about this man that this man doesn't realize yet. As good as everything seems to be in life, he's empty. He's broken. All this stuff he was doing to accomplish it was just covering up his brokenness inside. Jesus has more for him too, friends. And you may be thinking, okay, where's the commandment? I'm ready, I wanna do that. There's no commandment. Jesus offers him something better than a commandment. Jesus offers him himself. Jesus offers him the bread of life, the living water. Jesus knows the only thing that will satisfy the deepest regions of this guy's soul and the only thing that will satisfy the deepest regions of our soul is himself, like the true rich young ruler. This is the great exchange, that Jesus lives the life that you and I can never live, but he dies the death we deserve to die. And through his resurrection, you know what he offers us? He offers him himself. He says, I'm yours. Like, I'm here. Like, this is what's attainable. Sell it all and follow me. He sees this guy's heart. He sees this guy's trying and still misses it. And he loves him. He loves him enough to show him you are totally outside the kingdom of God. He says, okay, you've been trying to get to God through all these things. One thing you still lack. Sell all your possessions and follow me. Now, I wanna be careful here because if we're not careful, we think this is a universal truth, but it's not. Like in fact, this is probably the only place in scripture where Jesus looks at someone and says, sell everything and follow me. And for some of you, you're relieved right now, okay? And if that's you, maybe Jesus might be saying to you though, like you might be holding on to something more than you should. I would say this, he's teaching us this. This passage holds out that if we treasure something more than we treasure Jesus, that will be the very thing that keeps us from abundant life. That will be the very thing that keeps us from the best life Jesus has for us. See, we have to show Jesus we're willing to give it up. It may be the very thing that you find life in. It may be the thing that you find security in. It may be the thing you find everything in. And if you wanna know, if you treasure something more than Jesus, just ask this question, would you lay it down? Like, would you lay it down? And if there's something in your life that says, that's too much, that's too far, that's off the table, that may be the very thing that's keeping you from life. That's the very thing covering your emptiness and your brokenness. And Jesus wants more for you. If we come to Jesus and say, what do I still lack? We can be sure this is the kind of faith Jesus loves. In one of the earliest stories in the Bible, we're told a guy named Abraham, has a child named Isaac. And he's told to sacrifice Isaac. I mean, all Abraham ever wanted to do was be a father. That's it. That was the deepest longing of his heart. And the moment he was a father, God says, now give up your son. God is not a trickster, okay? God is not trying to like pull one over on Abraham. No, God is revealing something to Abraham about his own heart. Because Abraham loved Isaac more than he loved God. And friends, whatever that thing is, whoever that person is, whatever that situation or lifestyle is that you think will satisfy your heart, if you put those kind of expectations on that thing, it will crush you and it will crush that thing every single time. Like you gotta lay it down. So Abraham does. He lays down Isaac and God stops him from sacrificing Isaac and says, now I know you love me more than you love Isaac. You know, often when we find that thing, we realize just how lacking we really are. Verse 22, we're told that this man heard these words and he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had many possessions. And we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know if he went away sad because he wasn't willing to give Jesus everything or did he go away sad because man, he realized I've been holding on to things that can't sustain my life. I've been holding on to things that really can't fill. And Jesus has just exposed that. That's just how kind Jesus is. He is faithful to this man, to bring this man to an end of himself and to lead him down a road. And we can be sure it's a narrow road, the road of salvation. In the book of Romans, we're told this, that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. So there's hope for this man. Every one of us probably loves a quick salvation story, right? Like we love to hear, man, this man went away, he sold everything, he came back and he was the best of every disciple. But the Bible kind of leaves some, some mystery there for us. Because also the Bible wants us to see ourselves as that rich young ruler, that person who comes to Jesus even today and says, what do I lack? And to see if we'll stay or walk away. You know, the, Jesus sees this man walk away and he looks at his disciples and look at what he says in verse 23. Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, We've left everything and we followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me. You will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. It's difficult for a rich man to enter heaven. He says, it's harder than if a camel was to go through an eye of a needle. And you may have heard sermons or read stuff about this camel, eye of a needle thing. And, and at best, those are like, okay attempts to explain what Jesus is saying here. But here's the reality. Like, it's just really hard, okay? Like, Jesus is using exaggeration and his disciples get it. They get it and they are astonished. And they say, well, if it's not this guy, Jesus, who can be saved? They probably think this is probably the guy we've been waiting for, Jesus. This is our number one draft pick. Like he looks good on the outside. He has a great life. He's respected. He's influential. He's got great resources. Anybody would want this guy to be part of their movement. They've missed it. Jesus taught that's not how the kingdom work. In fact, in between last week's passage and this week's passage is something really helpful, really insightful for how the kingdom of God works. Let's look at it. Matthew 19, verse 13. So this is just right before the rich young ruler comes, right after Jesus teaches on marriage, divorce, and singleness in the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and they went away. So I'll say this before I say anything about this passage. If you are a child in this room, you matter to Jesus greatly. Like, don't miss that. If you have children in this room, like, and they're downstairs, like, what's happening matters greatly. Just before the rich young ruler came to Jesus, people bring Jesus' children. And the disciples are like, hey, like, they rebuke him. That's a strong word, right? Could you imagine if you heard a story about like a child came up to me today and one of the pastors rebuked the child, you probably would not stay at this church. Like that would be a weird place to go. See, the disciples are missing it. They think the influential, the well put together, the morally upright, those are the people we need. But children, what can children do? And sometimes I think we can share that way of thinking. We can invert the gospel. We think this when someone has it together, when someone obeys enough commandments, right? When someone has finally achieved enough in life, then they're in the kingdom of God. We think if they're keeping the commandments, they're in. Maybe we've all struggled with that before. I know I did. I know in my own family, in my own life, like I've struggled with this idea. About eight years ago, my daughter, Anna, uh, came to me on a November morning. I'll never forget it. It was November, she was seven years old. I was home working on a sermon. She had stayed home from school that day. Something was happening inside of her. And she came up to me with what should have been the best news ever. She said, Daddy, I'm ready to get saved. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And I'm like, oh man, like how? Like that's the first question I have, right? Like, how did that happen? Like we're not at church. We're not at the Bible study, there's no altar call. And so I asked her a couple of questions. And she had such simple and sincere faith. She couldn't explain like her doctrine of God's sovereignty, okay? She couldn't explain her end times theology in that moment, but she knew this. Jesus loves me, He died for me, He rose again, and I want Him to be my Lord and Savior. And then I kind of made a mistake, which I'm embarrassed to even tell you this morning. I tried to talk her out of it. Like I'm like, has she even counted the cost? Like, has she sold everything? Like, what about your toys, Anna? Like, have you sold them yet? And she's like, what? We haven't had a garage sale. And then I'm like, you gotta do it. And then I'm like, okay, Anna, here's the deal. I'm gonna gonna see how serious you are. And I'm so embarrassed to say this. I say, here's a hundred dollars. If you'll deny Jesus right now, this can be yours. And she's like, Dad? Like what? And I'm a pastor. (laughs) I'm like, I should be doing better. So. Aside, if you ever struggle talking to your kids about Jesus, I have to, okay? (laughs) And then I put the youth pastor pressure on her. I tell an old youth pastor story. And I'm like, Anna, if someone breaks into our house right now and they take me and they say that they're gonna take you if you don't deny Jesus, what are you gonna do then? And with tears in her eyes, she's like, why is someone breaking into our house? (laughs) So... I call a friend of mine who's a pastor. and I'm like, bro, my daughter wants to get saved. But what do I do? He's like, I think the words of Jesus are instructful here. Do not hinder the children from coming to me. And don't hinder them. Because the kingdom belongs to them. So I go back to Anna. I say, I'm sorry. We talk better questions this time. And I realize God's drawing her. And I'm not supposed to hinder her. So she prays and she asks Jesus to be her Lord and savior. And I take comfort that even the disciples struggled here. They asked if this guy can't be saved, who can? And Jesus simply says, hey, with man, it's impossible. Take comfort in that. Like there's nothing you can do, nothing you can say, no amount of righteousness or works-based righteousness that you can add to the picture that can save you. But then he says great words, with God, all things are possible. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, 13, whoever, notice that word, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And take encouragement here. That no matter who there is in your life and you think they're too far gone, you think there's no way they'll come to church. There's no way they'll come to faith. There's no way they'll give their life to Jesus. They just won't do it. Hey, guess what? On their own, they won't. But with God, all things are possible. Friends, I've seen it in my own life. Like I've seen family members who did not believe in Jesus all of a sudden turn their lives over to Christ and say, I'm ready to get saved. And and in some ways, like I'm sad to say it, but it's probably good for you to hear me. Like I didn't think it was possible. Like, I don't know why. I had seen God save so many people in my ministry throughout the years, but I thought, well, that person's too far gone. There's been people that I've met in Huntsville and they're smart and they have a great education and they want nothing to do with church. And I might say, oh, but they're a good person. And I think they're probably too far gone. They're probably in their head too much. They probably have more questions than I have answers. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So whoever that person is in your life, whoever you think they are, however far gone they are, and maybe you've written them off, maybe you would hear Jesus's words to your heart and they would be a comfort to your soul this morning. With God, all things are possible when it comes to salvation. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about his life, his death, his resurrection, his power to save. Salvation and rescue is all about him. Why? Because he's really the rich young ruler. He left the glory of heaven and all his wealth and he came and he took on the form of a servant and he died even obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our role? to let go of whatever we think is gonna save that other person or whatever we think is gonna save ourselves and give our lives to Jesus. And Peter is such an encouragement to me here because it's interesting. It's almost like Peter's in the background. Like he's waiting for his moment to, to show he knows the answer. And maybe you're that kid, right? Or that person. And Jesus says to the rich man, sell all you have and follow me. And then Peter's like, hey, we've done that. Like we've left it all. Jesus like, what is there for us? Exposing he's still missing it. Exposing he's still lacking. Jesus said, there's plenty in the kingdom of God. There's abundance, don't worry. Peter's wondering, have I given up enough to be right with God? And Jesus is saying this, and you need to hear this this morning. It's not what you give up, but it's who you love and how you receive that person you love. Have you guys ever seen a young child open a gift? It's amazing. It really doesn't matter what's in the gift if they're young enough, right? Like it could be wrapping paper inside a box of wrapping paper and their mind is blown. They don't ask questions, they open it up and they're like, of course you would give this to me. But when it's an adult, especially like in November and December, if somebody in your work or your neighborhood brings you a present, you start to wonder what's happening, right? You're like, oh oh, man. I didn't get you a gift. Was I supposed to get you a gift? Did I miss the gift exchange? And there's this awkwardness. It becomes about us. Kids just received. It's not a complicated interaction without reservation, with excitement and joy. That's what the Risham ruler lacked. He hoped to pursue God, but he was unaware that God was pursuing him. And if you are at Cove or watching online or you're here, you can be sure of this, that God has not forgotten you, that God is pursuing you today. Don't miss it. The rich young ruler would have left church today and said, hey, that was good worship. That was good teaching. But there's a caution when we just talk about the kingdom of God in polite and respectable tones, we'll miss it. The rich young ruler leaves unchanged. He's still holding on to what's appropriate, trying to come to God on his own terms instead of recklessly abandoning his life and saying, God, the kingdom is yours. I wonder, could your life actually be characterized by the word abandonment? And what would it look like if it was? Is there a deep love in your life for God and others? If your heart began to beat with God's heart, what would be different about your life? For some of you, maybe you would actually start selling your possessions. You would give it all to the poor. I have friends who've done that and they've gone on the mission field and no one knows their name, but God knows them. God sees them. They're in a place that's forgotten, a place that there are no other Christians, a place where there aren't churches like this. Why? Because they want to follow Jesus because they gave up what was most dear to them. Maybe you might show kindness to somebody who's taking you for granted. Maybe you might forgive that person who's really hurt you. Friends, as a child, we come with nothing to offer, but we take nothing for granted because we realize all there is is the grace of God and his kindness. And what has Christ done for us? He's fulfilled what's lacking. He's fulfilled what we lack. See, if we aren't careful, we'll look at this passage and we'll think the thing this guy lacked was selling his possessions. But that kind of doesn't make sense, right? Like how can you lack giving up something? There's, There's a phrase in between sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me, that's helpful. And it's this, sell all you have, give to the poor and you will have what? Treasure in heaven. That's what he lacked. He lacked making Jesus his greatest treasure. Tim Keller, when writing about this in 1995 said this, when you meet the real message of the gospel, you always find, always find two things that are shocking. It demands more than you thought and it offers more than you thought. When you meet the real Jesus, you'll find more to, than you ever dreamed. And what it offers is treasure in heaven. It's not mansions. It's not streets of gold, it's not crowns. Maybe all those things are there, but what Jesus is saying this, when you give it all up, your treasure, your greatest treasure will be what? It will be me. You will see if you have Jesus, if he's your treasure, if you have him, friends, please hear this. I don't want you to miss it. You have everything. You have everything you need in life if you have Jesus and you truly are rich. When Jesus says, you'll have treasure in heaven, he's looking at the rich young ruler and says, hey, I know you have the biggest house in the neighborhood, but it's nothing compared to the forgiveness I'm offering. When he looks at the rich young ruler, he says, I know you are morally good but it's nothing compared to my righteousness. When he looks at the rich young ruler, he says, I know you have a lot of friends and you're really influential, but friends, and if you've experienced this, you know, this is true. It is nothing compared to being adopted into the family of God. Nothing can compare to the treasure that Jesus offers. Anything on earth, you know this, especially if you've ever had something stolen from you, it can be stolen. Moth can corrupt it, but when Jesus offers, That is permanent. That's eternal life. That's abundant life. That's the place you come and you begin to understand something else that when Jesus is your greatest treasure in heaven, guess what? You're also treasured in heaven. You know what happens? The disciples come back one day, they've cast out demons, they've done miracles. They are fired up as any of us would be. And Jesus says, rejoice, rejoice. Not that you cast out demons in my name, And not that you did miracles, but rejoice because your name is written in heaven. That's where our joy comes from. That's where our security comes from. That's where our safety comes from. That's where our purpose comes from. That's where our life comes from. That when we know that we belong to Jesus and he belongs to us, that's enough. Like you won't come to Jesus and say, what do I lack? No, you'll come to Jesus and say, you've given everything to me. I lack no good taste and see the Lord is good when you make Jesus your treasure he makes you his treasure the father sees absolute beauty he sees the radiance of Christ he sees the righteousness of Christ he gazes upon you friends his eyes upon you and your identity has been changed it's what Jesus is really getting at in this passage that you belong to God He's saying, build your life upon me. And you know what God will do? He will build his life in you. That's Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. And if you come here today with soft hands or open hands and soft heart, can I say this? And you ask God, what am I lacking? What am I missing? You've been asking that question for a long time. He offers you life in himself. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, I have come to give you life and life that you would have it to the fullest. Don't think for a second. Don't buy the lie that there's anything else in this world that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul the way Jesus can. If anyone tells you any different, they're lying to you, okay? They're deceiving you. They're taking you down that broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus offers something better. He says, hey, here's me. You can have all of me freely. Just receive it like a child. Mm. Let's pray. As Alan comes right now, I'll remind you what Peter later writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine, when he's talking about the people who have made God his greatest treasure. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Friends, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in chapter 1, Peter says these words. He said, blessed be God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's your inheritance. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the testing and genuineness of your faith might be what more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire. And you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of revelation of Jesus Christ. This is to us, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice in him. In inexpressible faith, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God, we bring nothing but our lives to you. And Lord, I pray against anybody who leaves this room thinking, okay, now I know the next thing I have to do. Lord, let them receive. Let them receive all you are, Jesus, the fullness of the gospel. Lord, we know the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but you have come, and you've come to give us life and life abundantly. Lord, may we today at River Tree taste and see that you are good, and that we would know in Christ we lack no good thing. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.